0: Well, we are glad you're here. Today we begin a brand new sermon series entitled The Happy Thief, a study through the book of Philippians. And today we're gonna to be talking specifically about how the joy that is supposedly, rightfully, legally yours. Man, it's, it, it gets stolen from us by the enemy himself and we're gonna talk about that in just a moment. The very first sermon today is entitled The Hope Bandit. But I want you to imagine with me. I want you to take a moment and imagine with me this scenario. You've been robbed. Somebody is coming into your house and taking that which is yours. Or perhaps they've stolen not your goods, but your identity. They've come after your identity and they've begun spending in your place. Or maybe there was an inheritance. Maybe something that your uncle or aunt or your mother or father, grandparent left you. It was your inheritance, but somebody came in and stole it. Did you know that inheritance theft is a real thing? Inheritance theft happens. There are individuals who go after somebody's inheritance before it can be passed down to you. They come and they steal it away before it can get transferred to your accounts. And rarely do people even know that this is taking place, that somebody has already stolen that which was passed down to them from their, from their father. What I'm here to tell you is this. You actually may be a victim of inheritance theft and not even know it. You say, what inheritance do I have that may have been stolen? The answer to that question has to do with your spiritual family, not your physical family. I'm not talking about your rich aunt who lives somewhere across the country or your mother and father who have passed down physical financial blessing. I'm talking about the God of heaven who is your father. How many followers of Jesus Christ do I have here today? Any Christians? If you are, say Amen. As a Christian, the Bible says God is your father. And as God being your father, he has passed down spiritual blessings to you, your spiritual inheritance. And one of the great inheritances you've already received is the inheritance of joy. Say it with me, joy. Joy. Joy is legally and rightfully yours. You have joy and should live daily in joy because you are a son of God. You are a daughter of the king. You ought live in a place of continual joy, regardless of the circumstance around you. Yet there are thieves, there are burglars, there are villains out there who are attempting to steal that joy from you. And so what the word of God does is it includes in here the book of Philippians. The book of Philippians is written by the Apostle Paul, who teaches Christians how to take back that which is rightfully theirs, how to take back from the enemy that which they should own, and that is the right to live in joy. How many of you in this room today would like to walk out with a little bit of joy? Can I get an amen? Joy that is rightfully yours today, I'm going to start exposing the 10 villains who steal joy from Christians. The very first villain that we're going to see from Philippians chapter 1 through 11 is the villain of, the, of hope. We call him the hope bandit and today we're blowing the whistle on this villain. The first villain attempts to rob you of joy by stealing your hope and this happens in multiple scenarios. It happens when we sit down with a physician and the physician gives us a diagnosis we were not expecting. We had plans for the future and all of a sudden the diagnosis steals our hope and therefore saps our joy. Or perhaps hope was stolen from you in the midst of a divorce. Maybe it's your divorce or the divorce of a friend, a family member, perhaps even parents, and you had a plan, you had a hope, you had a life, you had everything going in one direction and then divorce comes in and it steals that joy. Some of you grew up in that scenario so you know what that's like. Your hope is gone, your hope is stolen from you, therefore your joy is depleted. For some, it's not divorce, it's not a diagnosis, it's debt. You see the debt mounting up day by day, week by week, month by month, and you feel like there's no end to this constant debt, and it feels hopeless. For some, it's the death of a friend, of a loved one, of a family member. You had hopes and plans and dreams for the future. For some of you, it wasn't the death of a friend, a loved one, a family member. It was the death of a dream in your life. For some of you, it's the loss of a job. It's the job that you loved and now is over. Or now you're facing a situation where you're not sure you're gonna have the job that you are in right now six months from now because of a multitude of crazy circumstances. And you're thinking to yourself, this was my plan. This was my direction. This was my hope. And now the hope is gone. My joy is depleted. The one thought I want you to go away with today, from today's sermon, Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, here's the one thought. Your story is not over. Say it with me together. Your story is not over. Okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to look to the person beside you. Look at the person beside you. Say, hello. Okay, look at the person beside you and say, How you doing? Okay, look at the person beside you and say, Your story is not over. Your story is not over. <laughs> this is what it means to give hope to somebody. Your story is not over. What are these truths that bring back hope into the life of a Christian? We're gonna look at three from Philippians chapter one and verse six. Three specifically. The first one is this truth I'm not finished. I'm finally ready. Say that one with me. I'm not finished. I'm finally ready. Philippians chapter one and verse six. This is the apostle Paul speaking to the church at Philippi. And he says, being confident of this very thing. I am absolutely sure, not of everything, but I'm absolutely sure of this thing. What is the thing that the apostle Paul is sure of? He said, I am very confident in this thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it all the way until the day of Jesus Christ. I am completely confident, I am supremely sure of this one thing, that this prison cell is not the end of my story. Now, why do I say prison cell? Because you have to understand the background of this passage. The writer of this passage of the Bible His name was the Apostle Paul. He was a preacher like me, but he was thrown into prison for being a preacher. It's bad to throw preachers into prison for being preachers. Amen. All right. (laughs) Now, like anybody else, if they do something bad, throw them in the prison, throw away the key. But if they're just preaching the Bible, this is not a crime and the apostle Paul was thrown into prison because he was teaching about Jesus. And back then, Jesus was not very popular. The message of Jesus was not very popular. The truths of the Bible were not very popular, and so he got thrown into prison. Now, if you get thrown into prison for preaching the Bible, you might be thinking to yourself, well, it's over. Well, I'm finished. Well, that's the end of my story. And Paul was in prison and he said, look, I'm not finished, I'm just getting started. And what's amazing to me is Paul doesn't just preach this message to himself. Paul is inspired by the Holy Spirit to preach this message to a group of Christians in Philippi. To remind them that your story is not over. You're not finished. You're finally ready for what God has always called you to do what God has always proposed for your life to be i want you to say it with me i'm not finished i'm finally ready i'm going to say i'm going to say the first part you say the second part i'm going to say i'm not finished you say i'm finally ready i'm not finished, I'm not finished. say it again i'm not finished I'm not what do i mean by that i want to talk about several aspects Things that come up in your life that make you feel like my life is hopeless, I don't have a future. Let me give you the first one. One thing that the devil brings into our life that re- tells us you have no future and you have no hope, for some of you, it's your age. Sometimes the devil lies to you and says, You're too young to do anything of significance, you're too young to accomplish anything of great value. And the reality is that is a lie from the enemy. Youth is not a a plague upon your life. It's a gift from God to have so much energy. Like the book of Ecclesiastes says, Solomon says, here's the conclusion of the whole matter. What you do in your youth is important to serve God and follow him early in your youth throughout your life. Your age should not hinder you from walking forward by faith. It's not only true if you're young, it's also true if you're not young. <laughs> your age is not a hindrance to you. By the way, for those who are a little, bit, a little bit beyond 40 years old like I am, can I get an amen? Your age is not going to hold you back. Amen? Amen. amen. There was a um, presidential debate between Walter Mondale and uh, Ronald Reagan in 1984. How many of you remember this debate? Raise your hand, age yourself. There you are. I remember it, I remember it well, I was four years old, I was there with my sippy cup, apple juice, I was interested from the early days and I'm sitting there watching. I was a Reagan kid, four years old. I believed in trickle down, I guess, I don't know, four years old, I was four years old, I understood trickle down, you know what I mean? And I, it's a bad joke. (laughs) Four years old. Reagan said something really funny during this debate, does anybody remember what it was? There had become a big issue in the debate, uh, really in the presidential campaign as a whole. This was the second of two debates, and he did not address it in the first debate. The big issue was that Ronald Reagan was 73 years old, one of the oldest men ever to be running for office at the presidential level at that point, point. 73 years old. And everybody's talking, I don't know if he's, old, he's too old for this, he's going to be 70-whatever by the time he's out, I just don't know if it's a good idea. And so it had become a huge issue. And Reagan needed to address this issue, or he was was going to be aged out of the presidency. So in the middle of the debate, President Reagan said this, I will not make age an issue in this campaign. I am not going to exploit, for political purposes, my opponent's youth and inexperience. (laughs) Like how brilliant is that? Is that brilliant? And and even Walter Mondale laughed and the whole crowd laughed and many historians will point to that moment as the moment he won the presidency. Listen, your age, your age, listen to me, is a gift from God, not a curse from the devil. See, I don't think I have much hope, much future. Friend, do you understand Colonel Sanders? By the way, give, give me an amen for Colonel Sanders. That man, God bless him. He is responsible for the greatest chicken and a lot of cholesterol, a lot of death, a lot of death. Colonel Sanders did not start KFC till he was 65 years old. 65. Listen, sir, your greatest days are ahead of you. Momofuku Ando invented ramen cup noodles at the age of 61. Momofuku Ando. I practiced that name 45 times this morning before I... 61 years old, 61. Noah Webster did not publish his dictionary until he was 66 years old. His life accomplishment at 66. Moses, Moses did not even do the big thing until he was 80 years old. He was 80 years old when he stood in front of Pharaoh and said, let God's people go and led 2 million slaves out of Egypt. Don't tell me that you've already reached the end of your story. You may have already done everything that God's brought you to so that you're finally ready to do what God's actually called you to. Number one, your age should not hold you back. That's hopelessness. Number two, your shame should not hold you back. Say, what do you mean my shame? I may not be speaking to everyone in the room because not everybody in the room has experienced shame like I've experienced. When I'm talking about shame, I'm talking about my own sins. I'm talking about my own experiences. I'm talking about my own moments of failure where I failed myself, my God, and failed others. And I have experienced shame. If you understand what I mean by that, there are few of us. And sometimes we allow the devil to tell us that the shame of our life has held us back from the future God wants for us. And let me tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. Listen to me, those who are watching online. Listen to me, those who are listening in this room. Your shame does not hold you back. God can allow your shame to be built into a platform from which you launch into your calling. say, how is that even possible, Pastor? There's a man named John, who's a dear friend of mine. In 2004, he sat in the Clark County Detention Center, right downtown. And as he sat in this room all by himself, he was genuinely filled with hopelessness. He was facing a 23-year prison sentence, this three-time convicted felon sat there with nobody but God and a Bible, and he made, listen to me, he made a life-changing decision in that room. John Ponder decided in that moment that he would dedicate the rest of his life to changing the world. You say, how could he change the world? He's in a prison cell. This is the end of the road. This is how it all ends. You're done, and that is not true as a follower of Christ. This man in this moment repented of his sins, received Christ as his savior, and made the decision to help reform the prison system and create a reentry program that would change the American society. It's called Hope for Prisoners. And by the way, this, yes, praise God for it. This reentry program that started right here in Clark County is now being used as a model around the United States in many prison systems around the country to keep people from following into the same cycle over and, over and over and over and over and over again. It is truly a world-changing thing. And where many people might have looked at John and looked at John and said, the end of your life is here, the end of your hope is here, there's nothing for the future, God took John's shame, created a platform from which he could launch a ministry that would change the world. My concern is not for John. John's fine. I love John. I'm going to see him tomorrow or Tuesday. My concern is for you. My concern is the person in this room that thinks to themselves, I'm finished. I'm finished. I'm finished. Friend, you're not finished. Listen to me. You're finally ready. Some use age as an excuse. Some use shame as an excuse. And some use the concept of a dead end as the excuse that they can't move forward. They, they, they genuinely believe there's a dead end. They're like a rat in a race and they've arrived at a dead end and there's nowhere to go from here. And we believe it's a dead end because we don't believe that God knows what he's doing as he's brought us into this moment. I don't know what dead end you might be facing but I gotta tell you, your dead end is nothing compared to the dead end of that 16 year old boy that was pulled out of his home as he watched his father and his mother and his family just slaughtered in front of him, 16 years old. When the Babylonians attacked Israel in 586 BC, this is over 2,500 years ago now, when the Babylonians attacked Israel, it was not a a light thing. They came in to utterly and completely destroy Israel. They wiped out all of the people, as many as they possibly could. They destroyed families. They destroyed farms. They went into Jerusalem. They tore down the walls of Jerusalem. They went to the temple, the temple of God. They went to the temple of God, and they burned it. They slaughtered the priests. And what they did with the young men and the young women is they took the young teenagers and they brought them as captives away from Israel and dragged them as prisoners, as slaves, back to their homeland. Daniel was one of these young men, these boys. You don't think Daniel had dreams? You don't think Daniel grew up with a mind that, that looked to the future of what his life could be? You've never faced a dead end like Daniel faced that day as he walked out of his hometown, burning behind him, memories of his family destroyed in front of him, and he's walking to a land he's never been, and God says to Daniel's heart, this is the beginning of your plan. You're not finished. You're finally ready. Daniel, at 16 years old, the Bible says in Daniel chapter 1, That Daniel, in that moment, purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself. That he would remain a follower of God no matter what happened to his society. That even in prison, he could honor God in the path that God had placed him. His story was not finished. He was finally ready to be what God called him to be. And at 16 years old, he made that decision. And that decision, if you read the book of Daniel in the Bible, actually allows Daniel to become the second most powerful man in all of Babylon, right under the king. Under the king, he becomes the second most powerful man in all of Babylon. Not only that, when Babylon was going to now be taken over by the Persian Empire, the Bible tells us that the Persians came over, take over Babylon, and Daniel actually moved into the position as the second most powerful man in all of Persia. God protected him supernaturally from nation to nation, from situation to situation. Why? Because Daniel understood a principle that so many of us forget. There is always hope. Friend, there's always hope. Listen to me, listen to me. There is always hope. It is never hopeless. Unless you root for the New York Jets, you always have hope, always. (laughs) Always have hope. Number one, I'm not finished, I'm finally ready. Say it with me. I'm not finished, I'm finally ready. Number two, your story is not over. What truth do you have for me, Pastor? Here's the truth that brings back hope. Number two, if I trust and obey, he'll do the work. Say it with me. If I trust and obey, he'll do the work. Say, what do you mean, Pastor Josh? Look at what it says in verse six. Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you, notice it, notice it, he, God, who has done a good work in you, He will complete it. He will, com- he will complete it. That means if Jesus is going to save you, he's the one who's going to complete you. He started this whole thing. How many of you remember when Jesus saved you? You remember when Jesus saved you? If you do, say amen. Amen. Do you remember you were a fisherman by Galilee and all of a sudden this man in a robe walked by? And said, follow me and I'll make you fish. Do you remember this moment? See, it didn't work that way for me either. Maybe for you, it was your grandmother sat you down and talked to you about the Bible. And you were called out by Jesus Christ to be a follower of Jesus. Or maybe a friend invited you to church. And for the first time, you began to hear the Bible teaching. And you opened up your mind to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You learned, God loves me. But I'm a sinner. But Jesus died for my sin and he rose from the grave. And do you remember when Jesus called you? and you repented of your sin, and you received Christ as your savior, you asked Jesus to save your soul. Do you remember that? If you remember that, say amen. Amen. The one who called you is the one who will complete you. This is a great truth of the gospel, because a lot of times we get this idea. We get the idea, well, Jesus called me. Now I better do all the work to be the best Christian I can be. Friend, that's not how it works. He calls you to himself, And he completes the work in you and through you. Say, how does that work, Pastor Josh? It's a great question. Jesus does the calling and Jesus does the completing. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter number five, verse 24. I love this verse. He who calls you is faithful, faithful who also will do it. You say, I'm not sure that I'm gonna become a great Christian. He who calls you also will do it. I don't think I'm gonna be a great father. He who calls you is the one who will make it happen. I'm not sure I'm gonna be a great grandmother. He who is the one who called you is also the one who will make it happen. I'm not sure that I'm gonna be good at leading in this new ministry. Hey, he the one who called you is the one who will complete it. Look, it's also stated in Romans chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. This is one of the Christians' most famous and favorite Bible verses. You'll see it on Facebook all of the time. It's an awesome verse, but we don't read the second part. Verse 28, it says, and we know that all things, we Christians know that all things work together for good to them who love God and to those who are called according to his purposes. We as Christians know that all things are working together for good. How many of you believe that God is working all things together for his good? Can you get amen? Amen. We believe this, verse 28, but look what it says in verse 29. It says, For whom he did foreknow. Now it's going to tell you how God works all things out for good. He whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. That means this. That means this. If you became a Christian at 22 years old, he called you to himself. And you chose to repent and receive Jesus Christ as your savior. You were born again. He foreknew that would take place. You may not know this, but God knows everything, which means he has foreknowledge, which means he looked into the future and saw the moment that Mark Jacka would repent of his sin and receive Jesus Christ as savior. He looked into the future and saw the moment that Yahya would repent of her sin and become a Christian. He foreknew that you would do this, so you know what that means. Those he foreknew, Yahya, Mark, he predestinated you. That it means he predetermined something about you. That he would conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. Slowly and progressively, he is turning you and molding you to be more and more like Jesus. You say, man, I better be more like Jesus. I know, we're all trying. And some of you are like, I'm not doing very good at it. Slowly, it is not you that is doing it. Listen to me. It is God who is doing it in you. You can trust his work. This is what the word of God is saying. You say, well, then what must I do? If he's the one that's doing the work, listen to me, if he's the one that's helping you, Sam, become what you're supposed to become, then what am I supposed to do? The answer to that question is just trust and obey. That's all you gotta do. To follow the path God has destined for you, all you have to do is trust and obey him. That's it. Say it with me, trust and obey. Say, how does that work? Well, let's say, let's say uh, we were at Starbucks together, and you were buying me a coffee. Cecil, right? You can buy me a coffee. All right. You heard him. He gave a thumbs up. All right. Cecil and I, let's say we're up in Summerlin, and we're gonna buy a cup of coffee, and we're sitting there. And as we were there, somebody comes by, and they uh, they start talking to us, and we start talking to them, and we we'll have a good conversation. We don't know. I'm like, you know, no, I don't know. We're talking to them, and then all of a sudden, God speaks to your heart and mine. And we're like, we need to invite him to church. Don't you love inviting people to church? Can I get an amen? Right, amen. And, and Cecil and I were like, okay, let's do it. So I look in my bag and I don't have any brochures because I gave them all out. And Cecil looks in his bag. He doesn't have any because he doesn't love God. You know what I mean? There's a difference. He just doesn't carry them, is that right? That's probably what happened. And, and so we're sitting there we don't have any brochures to give him. How in the world are we gonna tell him where Southern Hills is? How are we gonna do it? Does anybody have any idea? Shout it out if you do. We're going to tell him about the church. How is he going to find the church? Google. We used to think it was only God who was all-knowing. Now we've got Google, right? Google. We say, hey, look, we don't have directions. All you have to do is Google it. Google Maps. All you got to do is find out and put this in Southern Hills Baptist Church. That's all you got to do. Right, And that's what they're gonna do, right? They're gonna type it in, Southern Hills, and they'll be like, is this it? And we'll be like, yeah, there it is. It's just a 23-minute drive. Go around the 215, piece of cake. That's all he's gotta do, right? That's all he's gotta do. How does it work? You get in the car, you press the thing, and it starts taking you. It is the Maps app that's gonna do all the work to get you there. What do you gotta do? Just trust and obey. Just trust and obey. Do you understand what I'm saying? You think I'm at the end of my rope, I'm at the end, there's no hope, there's no way going forward. I feel like I don't have any joy because I can't see a future in front of me. It feels like my life is finished. You're not finished, you're finally ready. If you just trust and obey, he'll do the work to creating you and become the person God is making you to be. He'll get you there. Number three, here's the third truth that brings back hope in my life. Number three, I look for progress, not perfection. The reason why I've lost hope many times as a Christian is because I expect myself to be perfect and I don't settle for progress. I tell you, when when I start focusing on progress, not perfection, I start having hope again. I'll get there. And when I have hope, I have joy again. Look at what the scripture says. This is all in Philippians chapter one and verse six. Look at what it says. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will perform it, will complete it, Until the day of Jesus Christ. What that means is he continues to work on you all the way until the judgment day. All the way until the day you see Jesus Christ in the flesh. The day you stand before God. He will complete it all the way through to the end. So in the midst of it, stop looking for your perfection and start looking for progress. How do we do this? Say, am I, Josh, are you everything that you need to be? No, listen to me. Josh, are you everything you need to be as a Christian? Not yet. I'm not. I'm not everything I need to be. Are you? No, but you're getting there. We need patience with others and ourselves. When my, my children were younger, my wife and I would put them in the car, you know? It's always a lot of work when they're very young to put them in the car. The car seats, and you know what I mean? The car seats, just alone, is so much work. And then they throw up on everything. It all smells, everything smells. They just smell, if you're a young child in here, you, you kind of stink sometimes, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and, well, excuse me, I apologize. You know? <laughs> I speak the truth, but I speak it in love, you understand? I, you know, clean yourself up. We put them in the car, we drive somewhere, and and no matter if we were driving 20 minutes across town, or if we were driving four hours to Disneyland, do you know what we would constantly hear from the back seat? One phrase over and over and over. What's the one phrase? Are we there yet? And it would drive me nuts. It would drive me nuts. I'm like, no, we're not there, because we're here. (laughs) If we were there, we would be there. If we're not there, we're here. This is like an existential crisis. My child is, are we there yet? No, we're not there. We're here. We're not there. If we were there, we would be there. We're here. And we would do this for like two minutes, and then 60 seconds later, they would ask the exact same question, are we there yet? And I would say, I'm almost to insanity. That's where I'm at right at this moment. (laughs) Yet we do this with God all of the time. We sit in the back seat, and God is driving and we we call out to him and we question him like a child does his parent god why did i mess up again god why am i still struggling with fear god why do i still have doubts god why do i still get so angry god why do i fight bigotry in my heart god why do i fight lust i keep falling into sin god why am i so prideful god why am i not there yet God, I know you're transforming me to be like Jesus Christ, but I want to know something. Are we there yet? And God, your Father, turns around and says, Hey, patience. I began this good work in you. I'll complete it. I'm going to get you there. You just need to chill out and shut up and sit down and buckle in. (laughs) This is very good news because some of us think that God is like the driver. But I'm really concerned because some of us don't see God as the driver. Some of us see, think that God is like the child in the back seat. And God is constantly shouting out to you, are we there yet? Why do you keep messing up? You think God is the child calling out. Why do you keep falling Why do you keep saying those things? Why do you keep acting that way? When are you gonna become like Jesus? And you feel like this voice from the back of your mind is God telling you that you've not yet arrived. Friend, that's not the voice of God, that's the voice of your enemy. God knows where you're at in the process and God knows the progress you've made in the process. He's not impatient with you, he is long-suffering. He's patient. Don't think of God in these ways. This is why it's helped me not to think perfection to start thinking progress. Here's what I do when I get discouraged and I lose hope. I stop and I think, okay, I'm not where I wanna be, but where was I five years ago on this? When you do that, Christian, suddenly you begin to realize how much you've grown. Man, I am not where I want to be, but I got to tell you, I'm definitely not where I was three years ago. That's progress, progress. And some of us just need to give ourselves a little bit of a break. Some of us need to give some other people a little bit of a break. Can I get an amen? Amen. I speak that as a pastor, I know. Your story is not over. Say, "My my story is not over. About six weeks ago, I think it was about six weeks ago, it was uh, nearly midnight, it was like 11.45 at night, and uh, I was very genuinely deeply discouraged. I, don't, I, I can't say that I was depressed, I, I was just. I was really sad. First of all, I was sad because it was nearly midnight and I was not in bed. I, I'm at 41 years old, I'd like to be in bed at eight o'clock. If, like you don't understand, if you're young here, you don't understand this yet. But like something happens to you around 40 years old that you're like, the best thing that can happen to me in life is to be in bed forever. (laughs) You know, like some of you know exactly, like we used to stay up late and party and have fun and do all this stuff. And now I'm like, this what yesterday was a great day. What happened? We went to bed at 8.30. It was amazing. It was amazing. You know what I mean? It's great. And I was already a little discouraged, a little depressed, a little sad. It was nearly midnight and I had 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 a bad, bad week. The night before, Thursday night, I had been up late into the evening counseling a friend of mine. He's a pastor who had just recently gotten fired from his pastorate for having an extramarital affair. He had been lying to me and lying to everyone, living a double life. And I'd been up late talking to him, and at that moment, I didn't think I was making much progress. And I was was deeply discouraged. Not only that, that day was Friday. I was up late Thursday night, Friday, I I got up, went to a Starbucks and I had meetings with a, a lot of church folks. That's what I do on Fridays. Every 45 minutes, somebody new came in and I love those days, I truly do, but they can, many times, be um, draining spiritually and emotionally because I bear the burdens with you. And I remember a full day of hearing stories about heartbreak and disease and financial trouble and church conflict, Christians fighting Christians. Man, I was tired. Not only that, Jonathan, I, just, I had just found out that on Monday Jonathan's next payment for college tuition was due not cool, guys, not cool. I found out Savannah was getting her driver's permit the following week. That freaked me out. My, my, my rental property, the, the, uh, the, the uh, air conditioner broke. Had to deal with that. My HOA is very serious about me trimming that tree. I mean, they are serious, you know what I mean? Like, they're so serious. So I gotta trim that tree and... And on top of that, I was getting a cold sore. Like there were so many bad things going on. You know when like they're all piling on and you're like, ah. Oh. And everybody was asleep in the house and it was late Friday night and we'd already eaten dinner and everybody was asleep and it was like nearly midnight. When I get to that place, sometimes I can become self-destructive, like you. We all have sins of choice. And I got in the car and I drove Mile, two miles down the road to Jack in the Box. <laughs> this is true. And I was thinking about those tacos. You know those two tacos for 99 cents, you know? The greasy, cheesy ones? The ones that kill people. No, like, they do, they do. I know I'm gonna die from these tacos. Like, smoking cigarettes, I think, are better. I don't, I'm not a doctor, don't take that but I'm like, I want those tacos. So I, I, stood, I went in line and I was gonna order two of these tacos and I said, I'll take two of those tacos for 99 cents. They said, they're $1.29. I'm like, that's cool, I'm good for it. <laughs> and then I stopped and my stomach said to me, you should order six. And before, <laughs> before I knew it, I'm like, six tacos. Amen. <laughs> Thank you. And a Diet Coke gotta balance it out, you know what I mean? <laughs> so, this, is all, this is all true, Drew knows, I told him about this. I drove home with my six tacos, now it's past midnight. My six tacos, my Diet Coke, I sat at the kitchen table, house is silent, and, um, and I turned on YouTube. I wanted to watch some YouTube, watch some YouTube videos and eat my tacos, and I began to pound those tacos, just eat those, ta- those tacos. You say, did you pray for it? No, I'm not praying that God blesses this food. <laughs> God is not gonna bless that food. (laughs) That's the devil's food. God's like, you're on your own with this one. (laughs) ate those tacos, drinking my Diet Coke, watching YouTube, and two tacos in, I was full. Two tacos, I'm good. Like, I knew, I knew what I needed, and what I wanted, and I ate them, but then I had four tacos looking up at me, four of them, four. They're all looking at me, I'm looking at them, they know. (laughs) They know. I did not want to eat those tacos, but I wanted to. F- Look, here's the thing. I'm not the most godly man you'll ever meet, but there are a few attributes that God and I share in common. I'm not a quitter either. <laughs> I'm not gonna quit. The man who started these tacos will complete these tacos. <laughs> and I muscled through it, baby, I did. I- I got the taco number four, and I'm filling it, you know? And I'm like, "Come on, baby, you can do it. Got the taco number five. Taco number six, I'm not feeling well. I'm not feeling well at all. I don't care, because I am not a quitter. Faithful is he who starts the tacos, who also will complete it, until the day of damnation. I will finish these tacos. God is not a quitter, he started you on this process. He's the one who called you, he's gonna finish it. Don't let the lies of the devil discourage you to a place of self-harm, get you to a place where you feel like you have no hope in the future and you begin harming and hurting your own life. He's got this, don't you understand? Faithful is the one who called you who also will complete it. And when you get that hope back, suddenly it's not so hard to have happiness and joy once again. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I know that it's true that sometimes the devil wants to steal our joy. He wants to steal our joy by stealing our hope. And right now, I'm thinking of my friends in this room. I'm not even sure all that they're struggling with. I'm not even sure all that they're fighting through. But I do know this, the devil is after their hope and therefore is trying to steal their joy. And I pray that they, in their own lives, would remind themselves on a daily basis, oh, God, I'm not finished. I'm finally ready. That all they have to do is trust you and obey. You'll do the rest of the work and that you started this process, you will complete it. I pray, Father, we would remember these things as we leave. In Jesus' holy name we pray.